Episode 17 of ICO 41, Weekly In-Depth Analysis of Initial Coin Offerings. My name is Owen Scott, and I'm your podcast host. This podcast focuses deeply on a single ICO each week and presumes some knowledge of the basics of blockchain technology. What's a little different about this podcast is that we read the white papers, we investigate the background of the team, and if we can, we spend some time communicating directly with the team in question, and then we report to you in detail. As always, this podcast is not intended as investment advice nor as information to lead to any particular action whatsoever. Our aim is to inform not to suggest. First of all, happy holidays and sorry for the delay this week. I think this podcast is going to come out on December 28th. So happy holidays to everyone. I'm not sure where the price of Bitcoin will be on December 28th, but no matter where it is or what is going on, I feel comfortable in giving this advice. Take a deep breath, take a walk, and think about something else for at least an hour. Anyway, this week we're going to cover a token sale that is deeply connected to Bitcoin and also pretty robust in terms of technology and the blockchain in general. And so kind of like a lot of other weeks, uh, I'm going to need to cover some pretty basic but somewhat complicated concepts that might not be completely understood by all the listeners. So bear with me if you already understand these ideas. First of all, uh, let's start with the programmatic characteristics of Bitcoin. Now, you might notice that I'm careful not to use the word limitations, just characteristics. That's mainly because as I've become a little more active in the blockchain community, I've become a little bit more aware and maybe a little more sensitive to what you might call the internal politics of Bitcoin and blockchain technology in general. So we're mainly going to cover some of the characteristics of the Bitcoin implementation of the blockchain. And by no means are these considered to be limitations. They're merely characteristics. The first concept is one that is commonly referred to as Turing completeness. This concept is named after that famous uh, Alan Turing. Uh, He's widely considered one of the founding fathers of modern computer science. The idea here is that if a system is Turing complete... And I'm going to vastly simplify this. That means that the system is able to perform certain types of conditional logic, like, for instance, loops. The Bitcoin protocol does not allow that. And that's deliberate. And that deliberate avoidance of Turing completeness has provided a great deal of reliability and stability to the platform over the years. However, we should also understand that this is actually viewed by some people as a limitation and potentially a hindrance to widespread adoption. Now, one of those people is very well known. His name is Vitalik Buterin, and along with a few others, he developed Ethereum, which I imagine you've heard of, which is not only Turing complete, but it actually functions as a sort of massive worldwide computer. And that provides incredibly wide functionality in the form of logical and programmable so-called smart contracts. Now, secondly, I think it's important for this week's ICO to understand precisely how Bitcoin transactions actually work. 
and how it somewhat resembles a financial system, although not in the way that most of us are accustomed. So what I want to do is dive down a little bit here to uncover the true nature of the Bitcoin transaction and the idea of a wallet. Some people think of a wallet as an account and then those so-called balances of that account or of that wallet. And this concept, these concepts that we use in order to understand, you know, the idea of how many Bitcoins I have or how many are in my wallet or my account, all these ideas are actually not really accurate. So bear with me a little bit while we go down this kind of abstract path. First thing to understand is that Bitcoin is not an account-based system. There's really no such thing as an account. In fact, there's not even any such thing, strictly speaking, as a balance. So let's just take a few steps back and, and think about how we consider money in the way that, that we think about accounts. You might call it a bank-based reality, or maybe you can call it a mattress-based reality. In an account-based system, or maybe in a mattress-based system, we remove value from one person's account and then we add that value to another person's account. And the math is pretty simple. Subtract and add, and then we keep a running balance. So, for instance, I add 12 gold doubloons to my mattress today. Now I have 200 gold doubloons in my mattress. Now a transaction consists of me removing some gold doubloons from my mattress and giving them to someone else and they put them in their mattress. Now if my mattress is getting lumpy or if I'm worried about pirates stealing my mattress, I'll bring it to a place where there's maybe some armed guards and they'll maintain my balance and they will keep my doubloons in my account at their stronghold. And they'll also do the counting for me. Bitcoin has no such concept. Then you might ask then, if it doesn't have that concept, how does anyone know how many Bitcoins anybody has? Now that's done with the concept of an input and an output. Now, with the exception of a freshly minted Bitcoin, or I should say a, a freshly mined Bitcoin, which is literally born from nothing but work, Every other transaction on the Bitcoin network has one input and more than one output associated with it. That constitutes a transaction. An output is considered unspent when there is no other transactions that reference it as an input. So you have this input-output relationship. And that's really all the blockchain is. It's a series of transactions, some of which have an input referencing a prior output. And the so-called balance of a Bitcoin wallet, for instance, is nothing more than the sum total of what we call unspent outputs for a specific address. And this is really important. It's the total sum of unspent outputs for which the wallet contains a private key that can so-called unlock those unspent transactions. And because the supply of newly mined Bitcoins is slowly decreasing, every few years half as many coins are rewarded to miners for each block, 
Only about 15% of the transactions in the entire Bitcoin blockchain are actually those unspent outputs. This is actually going to decrease over time. Now, this is a little bit simplified, and there's other factors like confirmation that sort of blur this a little bit, but it's not that important. It's enough to know for today and for this ICO that there's such thing as a list of unspent outputs, and the wallet is simply the list on the blockchain of unspent wallets for which the wallet has a private key to unlock those unspent outputs. That's it. And as a matter of syntax, you should also know as you're reading and learning that uh, this shorthand version of unspent outputs is UTXO. That's how we refer to it in blockchain, UTXO. The third thing that I want to talk about a little bit is because of the characteristics of the Bitcoin protocol, the fact that it's not some massively giant computer that we can just use to program all kinds of loops and cool conditional stuff, uh, there has been quite a bit of development around the Bitcoin protocol. And in an effort to make use of the best parts of it, like the reliability and the immutability and the powerful consensus algorithm, in fact, the ability to trust the protocol itself, while allowing things like smart contracts and other issues, is done by sort of separating oneself from the Bitcoin blockchain, but not too much. To have a relationship with it. So an example of that, one of the issues with the Bitcoin network is that it has slow transaction speed. Transactions can take more than an hour, mainly because to be absolutely confirmed, there are six confirmations that are required. And these confirmations can come at a rate as slow as one every 10 minutes. So in response to something like this, there's a new idea called the Lightning Network. This is just an example of um, a way to solve some of the Bitcoin issues while not completely forking off and creating a brand new blockchain based on Bitcoin. It's called the Lightning Network. In this scenario, it promises immediate blockchain transactions without having to wait for the six confirmations that we just mentioned. And what it does is that removes the conditional logic from the Bitcoin blockchain and maintains a private ledger on the so-called Lightning Network. And it uses the Bitcoin blockchain when someone tries to cheat, so to speak. And it uses it as sort of an arbitration system for complete proof, but it doesn't require the confirmation on the Bitcoin network. So it's kind of an interesting sort of side chain, parallel chain there. That's an example of a project or an idea that has come out fairly recently. Another idea is something called Rootstock, and that's a a very tightly integrated side chain that also closely references the Bitcoin blockchain. And that second idea, that that tightly integrated sidechain, is a little closer to the ICO that we're covering this week, which is... The Zen Protocol, a decentralized financial system. Now, the fundamental idea here for the Zen Protocol is to provide a platform that allows the trading of financial instruments like options, futures, and the like, but actually 
on a decentralized platform. Now, that's a pretty big, it's a pretty bold idea, but I have to say it's backed up with some powerful writing that is expressed in the white paper. This is, however, I think you should understand, a protocol. So there's a little bit more to this than the typical token project that we're accustomed to. The first idea is that the Zen protocol supports a blockchain that is parallel to the Bitcoin blockchain. It's tightly integrated, but it's not, strictly speaking, a side chain. It's a parallel chain. Now, this parallel chain can execute smart contracts based on the elements of the Bitcoin blockchain. So there's reference points going back and forth. And the features of this parallel blockchain includes the ability to store multiple asset types on the same blockchain. The founders of the company and the authors of the white paper seem to be after the construction of what they call a financial engine that will allow participants to trade any type of financial asset while simultaneously relying on the strength and solidity, if you will, of the Bitcoin network. So there's this, this concept and idea of decoupling from Bitcoin to provide certain types of freedom, but also remaining tightly integrated to take advantage of certain characteristics of Bitcoin that are attractive. Now, that's the fundamental concept. Let's talk about the team and the company. Well, in this case, there's no evidence of a company per se. In this way, the project is quite similar to other ICOs that we've covered, which appear to be a collection of very talented people that come together for a project. And what I find interesting about this particular project is that the team didn't spend a lot of time grooming their LinkedIn profiles. They didn't spend a lot of time on Bitcoin talk. Instead, it just seemed like they, they put their heads down, they wrote some very good papers, and then they sort of hit the road, so to speak, and managed to appear on a number of venues. Um, one notable venue was the decentralized 2016 uh, conference that took place in Cyprus. It's an important conference. It's held at the University of Nicosia in Cyprus. It was held a few months ago. Uh, and leading up to that, even before the founder uh, of the Zen Protocol project, Adam Perlow, spoke at a number of venues starting all the way back in uh, June and July of 2017. And when I look at the profiles of the people on the team, I, I see a pretty respectable set of talent on display there. Uh, I also um, listen to quite a few of the talks that were given, and I see talent certainly being displayed there. And I think that the paper... Uh, the papers, actually, I should say, speak for themselves. That's, to me, the true display of thinking and careful thought that we can gauge the talent of the team, and that comes up pretty well. Um, let's talk about the paper, actually. This white paper, it's well-written, it's technical, it's sensible, and it's no-nonsense, uh, especially compared to a lot of other white papers that, that I find myself reading these days. Um, there's a few very interesting points that I do want to cover in this white paper. One is uh, that the authors point out that they're not convinced that proof-of-stake consensus uh, can really match the security, the open access, and the incentives that proof-of-work provides. Now, we've talked about proof-of-stake and proof-of-work a lot in this, and you're quite aware that both the Ethereum and uh, especially Bitcoin uh, operates on proof-of-work. And that proof of work is a little bit controversial because of the amount of resources that it's using and so forth. Uh, the Zen Protocol token uh, is going to be mineable using proof of work. And I do feel like 
I agree with one point that they make, and that uh, proof-of-stake mechanisms in general, um, they entrench existing owners of a given asset or a token at the expense, really, of future participants. It's especially true of uh, certain masternode uh, projects where there can be massive holdings of a given token, and uh, that can really lead to a sort of centralization of power, so to speak, on a given blockchain. Another really interesting aspect of this white paper is, is what they call multi-hash mining. And this is actually also covered in a completely separate paper that the authors of the main white paper here wrote all the way back in March of 2017. And the idea was originally floated as, I guess, what you could call a, a Bitcoin improvement proposal, uh, which would allow Bitcoin to be mined by multiple hash functions. Now, right now on Bitcoin, there's only one hash function supported. It's SHA-256. And as a result of this, it, it sort of classifies miners in a way that uh, you can only use this one function. And therefore, uh, there's sort of a grown out of that. There's a specialized group or class of computers that have been created just for mining Bitcoin. And that has led, of course, to the consolidation of power in the Bitcoin network uh, in these mining pools run by uh, this machinery, these ASIC miners that are incredibly powerful and collectively uh, really make up most of the Bitcoin network. Now, the proposal in the Zen paper is to allow multiple functions to be supported, and that would widen the number of possible miners, and it would hopefully go toward the decentralization of the network in general. Now, again, this was originally proposed as an improvement on Bitcoin, but of course it was incorporated heavily into the white paper for the Zen protocol. And the Zen protocol is going to support multiple hash functions to allow a completely wider set of miners. And we can only presume from that a more egalitarian and ultimately a healthier network. Uh, what's interesting about it is that the hash functions that would be used uh, would actually be voted upon um, every couple of weeks even uh, by the nodes who are operating the network. So that was kind of a very interesting point. Another uh, interesting part of the white paper talks about the UXTO, those, those unspent transactions we talked about. And uh, the idea here is that the value that the Zen protocol will store, the assets, will be stored in UXTO primarily. And that the unspent transaction output will feature conditional releases of the output, if you were, conditional spends, I guess you could say. Uh, through different classes of locks on those unspent output. Now, this is not a completely new idea, but they extend it a little bit. What I mean by this is that uh, there can be simple locks on an output. And this is very common today, for instance, like multi-signature transactions, where two out of the three parties' private keys are required to spend an output. That's a simple escrow concept. It's alive and well on Bitcoin today. Uh, but this white paper goes a little bit further, and they include contract locks. That would be smart contract locks. And in this case, not only would there be specific signature or signatures required, but also the contract would be required to spend the output. And the white paper makes a, a good case, I think, to design a protocol that's not account-centric in any way, shape, or form, but UXTO-centric, where the value is all stored in unspent outputs. 
And when those outputs are spent, the assets cease to exist. They're in effect destroyed and they can't contain value. And the paper points out very cleverly that in this method of transaction, in this method of, of design, you can't double spend. It's impossible. In the account-based concept, you have to keep a counter to track your account activity. And so performance on a purely uh, UXTO-based uh, value store is actually better uh, on a blockchain that's designed that way. And one last thing that I want to talk about with respect to the white paper and some of the things that it uh, mentions is uh, there's a distinction that they make in how the Zen protocol will use a sort of different method of smart contract execution than Ethereum does. Now specifically, Zen will force the contract, the smart contract, to prove how long it will run for and that it will actually end, and in fact, even what the cost of it will be before it's even executed. And that brings us sort of to this Turing complete argument, which is like very interesting. If you go back and read the Ethereum white paper, you'll find the concept of Turing completeness throughout it. It's, it's the idea that, you know, Bitcoin is lacking because it doesn't support uh, Turing completeness. It doesn't support the execution of conditional uh, smart contracts, um, complicated and sophisticated programmatic functions and methods, including loops. But there's a pitfall, and this is uh, something that you should also know. It's, it's called the halting problem. It's, it's a thing. It's an actual halting problem is, is a com computational problem. And that's in that when you have a Turing-complete system, there's really no way to know if a given routine will ever end. One of the problems that comes up when you're debugging software in Turing-complete systems, and by the way, just about everything is a Turing-complete system. I mean, almost all programming languages are Turing-complete. All computers are Turing-complete. But the idea is that you can create what's known as an infinite loop. This is an extremely common problem when you're debugging software because it's very easy to accidentally create an infinite loop. When you have an infinite loop, what generally happens is that the loop consumes all computational resources until the entire system basically crashes. Now, the interesting difference here with the Zen protocol is that each contract must prove not only that it can halt, but how long it will take to run before it's even allowed to be a part of the blockchain. I thought that was a very interesting concept. And the other concepts that I'll just throw out there that we don't have time to talk about right now is that uh, they make distinctions between side chains and parallel chains. And they also even talk about uh, the, the Merkleized uh, version of like options, you know, option contracts. Very, very interesting stuff. Can't go into all of it now, uh, but uh, certainly, certainly worth a read uh, and to look at some of the formulas that they've come up with if you're interested in that sort of thing. Uh, let's talk about the roadmap. Uh, the roadmap starts back with the genesis of the project over a year ago in 2016. And then by the end of 2016, the technology stack was actually chosen. And then they spent about a year or so uh, building the protocol. And they came up with a test net and the token sale to take place this fourth quarter of 2017, which in fact it did. The uh, roadmap shows the token actually being mineable as, as well as 
the appearance of the token on various exchanges in the second quarter of 2018. I'll talk about the token and the sale. Uh, the token is named Zen, and the sale actually concluded earlier than the roadmap allowed for because the hard cap of 12 million tokens were sold out in the pre-sale and the public sale. The sale started on November 1st, and it was supposed to run until the 30th of December or until the tokens were sold, and they were. So here it is before the end of the sale, and the sale is concluded. And based on the price of the token and the current price of Bitcoin, it looks like the sale generated about $50 million. So by all accounts, this was quite a successful sale. If you're interested in joining this network, uh, you're going to have ample opportunity to do so. You'll be able to actually mine the tokens in a few months. You'll be able to purchase them on an exchange. What's very interesting about this sale is that for the citizens of the United States, the token sale was limited to accredited investors. In fact, that goes a little bit to the SEC compliance, which is one of the points that we talk about. And this was one token sale where they were quite careful to make sure that they fell within the um, guidelines, I guess you could say, of the SEC. Now, stakeholders of the company are Israeli, but I believe uh, this is a, conducted in an American environment and in U.S. investors had to be accredited in order to join this token sale. And yet, if you look at it, they still made uh, $50 million without any trouble. So you can see that uh, SEC compliance uh, is not such a difficult uh, thing to wrap your mind around if, if you um, structure your sale in a proper way. Uh, let's talk uh, about the reaction from the community. Uh, I, I think that the community part of this was actually very interesting. As I mentioned before, the team did not spend a lot of time massaging their LinkedIn profiles. They they didn't create an announcement on Bitcoin Talk, if you can imagine. There was a, a brief discussion, but no actual announcement, no big splash. Instead, they just put their heads down, wrote their papers, attended their events, and spoke at a number of those events. They produced some videos. They conducted a bunch of interviews. They managed to get the word out successfully, though. Uh, the Telegram channel has over 3,000 members. They sold 12 million tokens earlier than their schedule did. And I think that this just shows that there's no cookie-cutter path to conducting a successful ICO. You can hire a company like Token Market uh, or other companies. You can uh, hire sophisticated marketing efforts. You can spend months and months and months talking on Bitcoin Talk, Reddit, and other places and other venues, but you can also do it a different way just by writing good papers and speaking at engagements and having a sincere uh, sort of dialogue with the community. So it's very interesting. Business viability and gotchas. One of the reasons that I think that this sale generated so much excitement is that the promise of a system to support tradable financial assets in a decentralized platform is pretty, pretty big. Uh, there is no such thing like that now. Um, and we're not talking about crypto assets here. We're talking about something like an options contract, a futures contract. If the intention is for the platform like this to take the place of something like the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, well, yeah, that would be very compelling. I can hear the established financial listeners cackling at this uh, in the background. Uh, and I admit, it certainly would take some heavy lifting. 
And I can't even imagine the United States supporting such a platform in the near future. Um, I do have to believe that there'd be some room for this in this big, wide world that we have out here. Uh, if there is a gotcha, though, I, I would say that getting government agencies who are responsible for regulating the financial assets that we all trade and know about uh, to allow to exist on a completely decentralized exchange, uh, things like futures contracts, stocks, bonds, might be difficult. Uh, but, you know, stranger things have happened, and maybe over time, the world is definitely changing, and I think that, uh, to some extent, blockchain is helping to change that world. My final takeaway on this project is that, first of all, it's such a well-written white paper that even if you don't end up participating in this particular project, it's great to go and see what they're thinking about. It's great to read that paper. It's great to uh, listen to some of the interviews that they're giving and uh, read carefully some of the characteristics of the Bitcoin blockchain, which is arguably one of the most successful uh, blockchains to date. I think there's plenty of evidence that supports that, that point of view. And also to see some of the work that's been done around the Bitcoin blockchain and to see how that resource, if you will, can be used in ways to support other projects. And I think that that's one of the more interesting things to look at in, in, in terms of the white paper here and, and some of the ideas expressed. My general takeaway with respect to uh, the success of this project is that, first of all, they did just now receive a, a substantial set of money. They seem like serious people. And they seem like they are going to attack this idea and that they've thought about it for quite some time. And that the individuals that are involved with this project seem like they're ready to roll up their sleeves and they're ready to go to work and ready to start to solve some of these problems with respect to the access, I guess you could say, of uh, tradable financial instruments. I'm definitely going to make a note to follow up on this one, and I will be sure to include this in a future episode in a few months to see how they're coming along. Very interested to see how the mining goes on this token uh, when it comes out. Okay, so this week I'm, I'm happy again to say that we have a little bit of time to dive into a second project. Now, this project is Budbo. Uh, that's a cannabis-related ICO. And in this case, it's interesting because it's a project of an established actor in the cannabis space. This awareness uh, of mine uh, started when I received a couple of direct messages on LinkedIn from the CEO of the company asking me to take a look. The first one came in early November, and I think the second one came just a couple of weeks ago. I wrote back on the second one, but... I have yet to receive a reply on it, but it didn't matter. I, I was certainly sufficiently interested enough to take the time uh, to look at the company and the team uh, and read the white paper. And th this is an interesting one in that um, this is a company that is well-established with a mobile app that is used apparently by over 75,000 people in the cannabis space. And that includes users, as well as dispensaries. And the current app in its form now allows the cannabis user to match the strains of marijuana that they like, or in the case of medical marijuana that are supposed to give them the most benefit, 
with the dispensaries that offer it that are near to them. So it's like a real convenience kind of app. By all rights, this seems to be a very successful application and a successful company. Now, earlier this year, perhaps, or I'm not sure exactly when, uh, but they were either acquired or certainly merged with another company, which was essentially a supply chain company. And so what that has done is that has allowed them to rebrand themselves. And now the new company uh, is launching an ICO. And the tagline of the ICO is supply chain management on a global cannabis blockchain. Now, I read the white paper a couple of times, and I had a couple of questions, and I posed one of those questions on their Bitcoin Talk announcement thread. And it was mainly about how the token would be generated. I mean, the paper mentioned uh, proof of work and proof of stake, so it really wasn't clear to me. Also, they mentioned proof of work and proof of stake on a coin that seemed to me that it was going to be 100% pre-mined. So I just couldn't really understand it, and I sought some clarity. I actually didn't get a response on the Bitcoin Talk uh, forum. Uh, so I thought, I thought, you know, maybe I would even feature the ICO. So I, I really wanted to get answers to this. I read the white paper and my, I figured I, maybe I could jump into the Telegram channel. So I did that. And uh, I jumped onto the Telegram channel and I was actually able to ask the CTO on Telegram my question about the consensus algorithm and how tokens would be generated and plus a few other questions, kind of mostly technical. And it just didn't seem like my questions were really understood, and at least not on a technical level. So I thought about it, and I thought, well, I, I still want to, you know, I mean, I got this invitation from the CEO. I, I really should take a look at this. So I headed over to LinkedIn, and I looked up the one person on the team, or well, there was two. I think I picked one of the two people on the team uh, who were technical, who looked like they could maybe answer my questions, and I sent a LinkedIn direct message asking uh, my questions, you know, I, about this consensus algorithm and about this and how the tokens would be generated and those same questions, you know. And I got a response, but the response was that, sorry, you need to go ask the CTO, which of course was the person that I had uh, asked on Telegram. So Look, here's my takeaway about Budbo, okay? This is yet another cannabis, um, and, and, I, and I, I just have to say that, you know, historically, I, I support, I'm just going to tell you right now, politically, I support the legalization of marijuana in general. I just uh, believe that it's the right thing to do, and uh, that regulation is important, and that uh, I pay attention sometimes when I see these ICOs. I think that blockchain uh, can be helpful in this in this industry. But my final takeaway with this particular uh, ICO is that Budbo to me seems like a successful company, lots of users, they've got a great product, it's an app that they wrote, they've got a really strong network. But from what I can tell, this company is primarily leveraging what you might call the current ICO craze uh, to raise funds to expand their company. And then when you read the white paper, it's it's just sort of like, again, it's just this sprinkling of lots of really good blockchain words and phrases that we're all accustomed to hearing throughout the white paper, like so much dust uh, in order to sort of, you know, spruce it up. 
I'm not so sure that I see a serious effort uh, to establish really strong use cases for the blockchain and also no real deep understanding of how it will actually work. I'm not going to say that it's as, as bad as Paragon, let's say, because Budbo actually has a product. They've actually got a network and they've got a functional application. And with this new injection of uh, supply chain management expertise, they probably have lots of really good uh, starting points, obviously. But all in all, I, I will say that I feel like the, the, the cannabis uh, industry uh, deserves better. I think actually it was even more interesting uh, not too long ago, talking about cannabis in general, is that the the province of British Columbia, just like a lot of other provinces and states, uh, recently legalized the use of marijuana. And they sort of reached out and said, hey, we need a little help here. Anybody got any ideas about how we can regulate this? Now, who do you suppose responded to that? I think that was really interesting. IBM. IBM submits a formal response, I don't know, a six or seven page paper and says, hey, you should use the blockchain and, and kind of here's how you should do it, more or less. I thought that was really interesting. And, and I do think that that is the play, that that absolutely is the blockchain use case is allowing the dispensaries and everybody else involved, everybody involved, supply chain, the whole thing, to be using the blockchain governed by the regulatory bodies. So this way, there can be a framework by which, you know, purity and testing and all of these things can be guaranteed because it's on an immutable blockchain. And it's a sort of a potentially hybrid private consortium-based along with a public component for the end users, sort of leveraged and used by the regulatory agencies. Now, it's going to take a forward-thinking regulatory agency to adopt blockchain, but I got to believe that it's going to happen. I really think it will. And, and, and I, I, I think that uh, it's only a matter of time before some of the talent, uh, the technical talent in some of these government agencies takes a hard look at this and realizes, hey, you know, this type of technology, especially in the consortium-based, uh, semi-private, controlled uh, blockchain uh, space, I, I, I do think that that's a use case that will ultimately uh, come to fruition. Got to say, not too impressed by some of the more commercial ICOs in the cannabis space, though. So... That's my point of view, and I'm sticking to it for now. <laughs> Have a great week, and talk to you next week.